Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Amen. How we doing, y'all? Hey, it's good to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Phil. I guess I'm on here most weeks, so you probably know me. Um, but, hey, I'm excited to share with you guys tonight. Uh, I get to come up here a few times this semester. And, um, and yeah, I've been praying with my discipleship guys about um, just my time up here with y'all. I hope that what you hear tonight is edifying. I hope what you hear tonight uh, pushes you into a deeper, more authentic relationship with the Lord. Um, and pray that, uh, that Jesus is the hero tonight, pretty plain and simply. Uh, if you're going to know a few things about me, um, right now, in this stage of my life, being a father is like, that takes up like roles 1 through 25, okay? Um, and I have young kids, and they are so fun. They're the lights of my life. Right now, Nico is 18 months old, and he is obsessed with cars. How many of y'all went through their car phase when you were young? Yeah, or know somebody that went through a car phase. It's like, it's a real thing. They, like, I never went through it myself, so I don't personally understand, but he is obsessed. He, like, driving down Veterans Parkway, calls out every single car we drive past. Car, car. He loves them. And so there's this, like, really just simple YouTube video called Helper Cars, and he's obsessed with it. And so he'll come up to me when he's interested in it, and when he's, like, he gets an idea in his head, and he comes up to me, and he says, cause cars. So he wants to watch Cars, Cars. And he, with every fiber of his being, he knows that I'm going to let him watch Cars, Cars. Okay? Like, he just knows. Maybe I'm soft. But, like, but, but he's just so confident approaching his father, asking to watch one thing, and knows he's going to get it. And tonight we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer, dissecting the first line, and talking about God as a father. And, uh, and, and there's something so innocent and pure and childlike about Nico's posture at 18 months, knowing he can approach me and ask me for something, and, and with full confidence knowing I'm going to respond to him um, with the love of a father. And so uh, that's the, that is the framework we're looking at tonight with, um, about what does it look like to approach God as a father. And so we're going to start off with a video I asked um, a, few, a few kiddos in my life to uh, recite the Lord's Prayer. So here is your, uh, for your viewing pleasure, here's the, them doing that. Are you ready? Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. I'll fly all <laughs> Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be the head. Hallowed be your name. Kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. You will be done. Your will be done. But I will be done. You will be done. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. I, I know it be heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us your best. 
gave us this day and stay blessed. And forgive us our debt. And forgive us our debt. Forgive us our debt. As we have forgiven our debt. And we also forgive our debt. Also forgiven our debtors. As we have forgiven our desert. Desert? And we just not in the station. And we just not into temptation. And lead us not in temptation. And lead us not into temptation. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. But deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Michelle. Yeah, let's try that one more time. The kingdom. From the kingdom, from the kingdom, the power, the power, the power, the power and the glory, the glory and the glory, the power and the glory, forever and ever, amen. Your glory is forever, forever, now and forever, amen. 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 They're cute, right? Um, that was fun to do. Tonight we're looking at the phrase, our Father in heaven. Um, and we're, we're going to dive right into this um, and hoping that we get to view this portion of the prayer in the same childlike faith that those kids did um, this, this weekend. So there are three things that I think we know when we read this line, our Father in heaven. First thing is we know who he is. Okay, we know who he is. Uh, the fact that we are using the word Father in this points to a relationship. There's an intimate acquaintance, a familiar term. And this is a big deal because in ancient times, God as a Father was entirely unknown. Um, there are many, many ancient cultures where um, where the God that they were worshiping was viewed as a distant and un, an unknowable God. Um, so much of their life in the ancient world was revolved around forces that they couldn't control. And I know we, there is a room full of people right now who have a hard time giving up control, okay? You don't need to raise your hand because I know who you are. But I'm just kidding, I don't. Um, but, but it's hard. It's hard to live to live your life without feeling like you're in control. And so put yourself in, in, the, in, in the shoes of somebody living in the ancient world when, when honestly like your whole life just revolved around food and water. If you were going to grow food, you had to have the right amount of sunshine. But too little sunshine, um, you wouldn't grow enough food. Too much sunshine, you would burn everything and, and, and you would have no food. Too, too little water, nothing grows. Too much water, it floods. And so much, of your, so much of your survival depended on forces that you couldn't control. And so people in this time uh, really felt that they were just subject to the moodiness of God. They were subject to how God was feeling about them on that particular day, during that particular season. So when you, when you had a harvest, one of the first things that you did in this ancient culture is you would take the harvest and you would, and you would take a portion of it and you would lie down an altar and you would set it ablaze. And you were thinking that in some way, this sacrifice that I'm giving is going to appease the gods enough to, to have them bless me in, in my next season. Um, and that 
that you, can you imagine like the panic you would have if the next season comes and, uh, and you know, you didn't have enough harvest because this, the sun was too hot or you didn't have enough water or whatnot, any of the natural things that happen on this earth, uh, but your primary thought was that I didn't, I didn't give enough. Or maybe I didn't give the right thing. And this, and this, and this goes into, and this, and this goes into more than just just food and water. How how your family was doing? How you know, like, was your wife conceiving a child that year? What did did one of your did your niece die um, too early? All these things, like every single thing that they were experiencing in life, tied back to how they approached the God that they were worshiping and what their thought was of how they are feeling about them at that specific time. And so when Jesus came along, it was in a world of people living in constant anxiety um, when, when they related their lives to God. And, and it, was, it was either way. You have a drought, you think God, the gods are mad at you. You're in abundance, you're thinking about how can I keep God on my side for long enough for next, for next harvest to be, to be good. And, and I just got to say it. I know we don't live in an ancient culture. I know we have technology advances. I know we live in a different world. But I know there are people that still live their life in this way, that they're taking step by step, wondering about whether or not the life that they're living, the choices that they're making, the decisions that they're, that, that they're um, having for their lives, whether or not that is going to appease God, or whether or not God's going to approve of what they're doing, or whether or not um, what they're doing, saying, thinking, believing, is going to put them in a good spot with God. So don't think, um, don't think for a second that just because we don't live in that time that we are also immune to the anxiety that was so present during this, during this ancient time. Um, when in reality, like, the reality of the situation is that these people would be living and in whatever, wherever they were living, and their crops would be flooded out because they live in a flood zone, but they didn't know what a flood zone was, right? Or their, their crops would be burned out because they live in an arid zone. They didn't know what an arid zone was. So, like, all these things that are natural, they, they tallied up to, actually, this God doesn't like me, or God is okay with me right now. And so, um, it's a constant treadmill that they were living on, and they're always dancing to make sure that God stays on their good side. And so when, it, when we think about, like, when I think about the Old Testament, um, I have some guys that I'm, that I'm in discipleship with that are reading through the Old Testament, that they're reading through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and those are, those are tough books to get through. Um, you know, there are over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, and sometimes you're reading, and you're like, holy smokes, it, well, how do we get to the next thing? Um, but, but thinking about what this meant to an ancient culture, that this was actually, finally, for the first time, God spoke specifically about how you could come before him, and about how you know where you could stand with him. This was the first time ever um, that this, that, that this has happened. And so something that we right now can look at as, as, as a burden to get through was a huge gift to somebody back in those ancient times. Yeah, 600 commandments? Great. I know who God is. I know what he desires for my life. 
Isn't that crazy how those, how the, that same exact thing can hold two very different emotional responses just because we live in a different time? You see, um, this was a, ra- like this idea that God came to present himself to his people was radical in the ancient world. And so the Jewish people viewed God as a ruler and a master, okay? Um, as a king to the universe. And there, there is, there are examples in the Old Testament where, where God was known as a father, but he was known as a father to like the nation of Israel, okay? So, so they, they viewed him as, as a God of our people group, right? Not as God to an individual, not as God to, to me, Phil. But this is, but he is God to, to people group. And that, and that is, I mean, we see that in, in what they called him. You know, they called him in Hebrew, um, they called him Shaddai, meaning the Almighty. Um, they called him, uh, um, they called him uh, uh, Adonai, they called him Lord, Master. And so there's this reverence that they have for him um, can still be, no, like, interpreted as, as a father being, but a father that's still... He's not my father. He is, he is the father of our group. And so when Jesus came, Jesus was the first person to call him father. He, he called him Abba, um, which really, like, means daddy, like dad. Like, there's this really cute um, innocence. The same way that Nico approaches me, um, like, I am his dad. Um, he calls me Dada, like, I'm, I'm, I'm his Dada. And there's, and there's a beautiful reverence to that as well. Jesus came um, and completely changed the, sw- changed, like switched the, s- switched the, the script in this, you know, um, and people weren't happy about this. Jews, Jews were, were, like, were seeking out to kill Jesus because he spoke about God in that way. John 5 says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father, my Abba, was always at his work to this very day, and I am too working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. In the Gospels alone, Jesus referred to God as a father 165 times, as Abba. Okay, so think about the context of this. You go... You, you, like, you move from this Old Testament view of, of God as almighty, as a king, as a ruler, even as a father of our nation, as a leader of our nation. And Jesus comes and he's saying, actually, he is not only those things, those things are still true. He's also your father. He's your dad. He's your dada. And there's a, there's a, they're, like, thinking about that, you know, I've heard a hundred sermons about God the Father. More than that. But I don't think I've ever understood the weight of how different that is, of what that actually meant. How big of a gift it is that God, the creator of the universe, allows you and me and invites you and me to call him Abba. He very well could have left it as, as El Shaddai as ruler, king, leader. Very well could have, could have left it at that and still be true. But he invited us into something deeper. God allowing us to know him as a father 
it sets the stage for us to experience his love in a whole different way. The second thing we know about this, about, um, this statement is we know his love. We know his love. Growing up, um, I idolized my dad. My dad is a simple man. He is a, uh, he, he grew up in uh, just very meager circumstances. Yeah, he grew up uh, a child of migrant farmers. Um, his dad was an alcoholic. Um, statistically, like my dad should not have been a good father. Um, but my dad found the Lord when he was 16, completely changed his life. And my dad became um, a visual representation for me on this earth about who God is, about who Abba is. Um, and he loves me, and he, and he sacrificed for me and, and our family. And um, thinking about it, like there's nothing crazy and extraordinary, um, nothing newsworthy about my life or about the way that he raised me. But what I remember were the little moments. I remember being six or seven and it being 15 degrees outside, but me really wanting to play baseball. And so we bundled up and we, we went outside and he pitched to me for 35 minutes because I just wanted to hit. Um, I remember um, me breaking up with my first long-term girlfriend and couldn't, like, could not get out of my room and him sitting on the floor of my bedroom with me. Not saying much, but he was with me. I remember um, when my mom passed away um, and when my dad, um, understanding that I was getting married six months, six months later, um, gave me a hug and, said, and gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do to move forward with the wedding um, understanding that it was going to be hard um, not being able to be there with my mom. He was there for me. And so, y'all, all these little things are not newsworthy. Nobody's going to put him on the pantograph front page saying this is the dad of, this is the, dad of the century. But, y'all, he was with me, and I un- he did not only tell me that he loved me, he showed me that he loved me. A good father not only tells you that he loves you, he shows you that he loves you. Last night, I was up with a very, very sick daughter all night long. She got sick in, at 9 p.m., and I sat on the bathroom floor with her all night. Um, and that was the, that's the reality of my last 24 hours. And y'all, again, nothing newspaper-worthy, um, nothing that I wouldn't ever, I would, like, I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, I might do that again tonight, depending on what the situation looks like when I get home. Um, but if you, if, you ask, if you ask Ella, does your dad love you? She'll say, yeah. Because not only do I tell her that I love her, I show her that I love her. A good father not only tells you that he loves you, he shows you that he loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is. Listen to this. This is how we know for love is. This is the dictionary definition of love in the Bible. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What is love? This is love. Jesus is the greatest answer to the question, does God love me? God not only says that he loves you, he showed you that he loves you. We all know the Bible verse, John 3, 16. Go ahead and say it with me if you want. For God to love the world... 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus was in the middle of a conversation with Nicodemus, um, a religious leader, in the middle of the night when he said those words. And Nicodemus is pumping him. He's pumping him with questions, and, and this conversation's unfolding. But when Jesus says, for God to love the world, it hit him. Like, it, it shook him to his core. Because so much of the Old Testament was about God's love for Israel, what God wanted to do through Israel. So much of what Nicodemus knew was through the context of El Shaddai. God as a leader. God as a king. But Jesus came and he said, no, actually, God's Abba. God not only, God's love is not only for Israel and through Israel. The relationship is about God and Israel from the Jewish, that, that was it um, from the Jewish perspective. Now, this Jew of Jews, who's this miracle worker, Jesus, he comes and he says, for God so loved the world. Jesus is making it clear that God is up to more than, than, than just um, than this with just his own people, the Jews. His plan is for salvation, not just for the Jews, but extends through them to encompass the whole world. So here's what you have to know about this. When John, and he, when John is sitting here writing this, his gospel for believers, there's two different words he could have used for world, okay? He could have used the word cosmos, and that's the word, that, that's the word that's in, the, in, in John. You see that. And I'll go back to that in a second. But the other word he could have used is the word okumene. And that's the word for a civilized world. And it's a narrower view of the world. That's, we have that, we use that all the time in our own context too. When my wife is a teacher at Normal West, when she, when, when her students come up to her and say, Mrs. Lopez, everyone's doing it. Every teacher lets me do this. They're, they're merely talking about their own experience in high school and their, and their little town in central Illinois, like in their limited worldview, that's Orkumene. And that's the word that's floating around the Roman Empire. It's the word for the civilized. It's the word for, for the insiders, the cultured, the beautiful people, the, the um, select, the privileged. And then that's not the word that John used. Um, that's not the word that John used. Um, for God to love the world, so for God to love the cosmos. For God to love the cosmos um, that he gave his only son. And, it, and, it, and he said that because he, he meant to talk about the whole world, the civilized and the uncivilized, the educated and the uneducated, the cultured and the barbarians, the rich and the poor, the Jews and the Gentiles. For God to love the cosmos that there's no, there's no one outside the realm of God's love. And that's why the word whoever is so important here. For God so loved the cosmos that whoever believes in him, it means there's no limitation. He doesn't say whatever Jew believes or whatever law-keeping person believes. He said whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. Max Lucado said, the word whoever sledgehammers racial fences and dynamite social classes. It bypasses gender borders and surpasses ancient traditions. Whoever makes it clear, God exports his grace worldwide. 
So here we have Jesus, and he over, he embodies us over and over again, not just loving and attempting to minister and speak to the insiders, but he's interacting with the tax collectors. He's interacting with the prostitutes, the disenfranchised, the sick, the non-Jews, the people on the margins, the people that are hard to be around. It's this expression that shows us the width of God's love. And I think the message to that is um, that everyone's welcome, that you might be in here tonight um, doubting that, <laughs> that you deserve the seat in this room. And I'm here to say welcome. That God, Abba, sent his son for you. He sent his son for you. You may have made decisions in your life that took you away from the will of God, that, that put you down a path that's not one that God wanted for your life, but you will never make a decision that will take you out of the reach of God. So what God is doing and giving Jesus brings me back full circle to the message that a good father shows his love. When Jesus says, for God to love the world, that he gave his one and only son, this is huge because for thousands of years, people were offering sacrifices and they were shedding their own blood in an attempt to, to get the attention of the gods, to get on the right side of the gods. Do you guys remember the prophets of Baal? What they were doing in Elijah, um, with Elijah and Kings, um, in 1 Kings? They're cutting themselves. They're like, they're, they're mutilating themselves in order to, to try to make, make something, to get the attention of their gods. And Jesus comes along, and, and, and it's Jesus that is the beginning um, to spread the gospel that God has come to offer his own sacrifice. He's come to offer his own blood in an attempt to get your attention. That it's no longer us trying to get the attention of the gods. It's no longer us trying to run the treadmill and figure out what side are we on with him. Jesus said that, that God came to offer his own sacrifice to get your attention, to bring you salvation. And so the reality is, like, people were offering sacrifice upon sacrifice. When their grain wasn't enough, it became their corn. And when their corn wasn't enough, it became their livestock. And when their livestock wasn't enough, it became their children. Y'all, this is the way that people lived. In hopes, in hopes that somehow, for some, some way, their gods that they were worshiping were nourished by the blood of their sacrifice in order to appease them for the next calendar year. When the story of the gospel is this, we are nourished and sustained by the blood of, of God's own son that he allowed to be shed for you and me. Jesus reversed the whole story, y'all. How do we know his love? God, God gave us his son. And the one who's shedding of the blood is not you, it's not me. For God to love the cosmos that he gave his one and only son. So what does that mean? That means you don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder where you are with God and where you stand with him. This means you don't, you don't have to get on the treadmill of anxiety. You don't have to live. You don't have to live in the posture of questioning, is this enough? Am I enough? Do I matter enough? Instead, you get to live in the freedom that Jesus is enough. It means that whenever you ask the question, does God love me? 
Does my Father love me? Does my Father in heaven love me? You'll know the answer clearly. He does because he showed you he loved you. Third thing we know by this statement, our Father in heaven, we know who we are. So here's my last point. We know who we are. The word our Father in heaven, it implies that, that we are children of God. Nowhere in this prayer is, um, is, a, is a plural pronoun. does not say us or we, or sorry, um, a singular pronoun. It doesn't say me or I. It doesn't say my Father in heaven. It says our Father in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, so there's this implication that we are to do this with other people. That God came as a father to push us into fellowship with him and with others. You all know we've been hearing this all year long. Love God, love people. That's the heart of this. Um, God, Psalm 68 says, God sets the solitary in families. We are collectively the body of Christ. And I want to say, I think a lot of you here tonight get that. And I also want to say, and I want to state it clearly, that this is a privilege. What we have here in this ministry is not, is not experienced worldwide by college students who are seeking after Jesus. And so my challenge to you is to not take advantage of it. You could, you could show up here every single Monday night and check it off your list and hear something nice from the front and say, hey, I'm a little encouraged, and go back to your, and go back to your solitary week for the, rest of, um, for the rest of your college career. And you would be missing out on something so deep and so intimate and so genuine that God desires for you. The challenge for that is to allow yourself, allow yourself into community. Open, open yourself up. Break down the walls. And if you believe the lie that you're the only person in this room who is feeling alone, then I'm sorry, because it's not true. The push here in, in, in us being able to pray our Father is that my Abba is your Abba. And that there is a commonality there that nothing in this world can take away from us. So utilize it. Get to know each other. Push deeper. The words one another is found in the, in the New Testament 87 times. We are to love one another. We're to give preference to one another. We're to be kind to one another. We're uh, to be of the same mind towards another. Edify one another. Receive one another. Admonish one another, etc., etc. We're not meant to do this alone. What we have here is a gift. And if you're not praying regularly with your friends, we're missing something, friends. And so tonight, um, I, want, I want to invite us into something fun. I want us to pray with each other. I want, and it's going to be messy. This room is not, uh, is, is not laid out in a way that's super conducive to this. Um, but we're going to have a few songs to end up tonight. Um, and and I, want, I want to invite you 
um, to grab somebody to pray. There'll be staff around to pray with you, but also grab your friend, grab your small group leader, grab somebody you don't know. Um, grab, grab two or three people. Uh, and and here's, here's my challenge to you. If we, if we understand and believe that the Father that we are praying to is my Father and your Father, um, that, then what we're praying um, uh, can be whatever, okay? This does not need to be a heavy thing. I'm not asking you to, to bear your deepest, darkest sin to one another. I'm, at, I'm asking you to pull somebody aside and be like, hey, I'm really excited about this. Or hey, God was faithful this today in this in my life. C- can we pray a prayer of thanksgiving for that? Or hey, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this happening this weekend with my family. Can we pray for that? For this conversation, for this endeavor, for this mission. Utilize the gift we have here with each other to push each other into a deeper, more fruitful relationship with each other. Let's say the Lord's Prayer with each other. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.